Hi, everyone. This is Headcase. I'm Stephanie, and I'm here with Dominique Bale, and she is the founder of this charity, Invisi Youth. So I'm going to let you explain what your charity is and how you started it. Sure. Okay. Well, Invisi Youth Charity is a 501c3 nonprofit that helps support teens and young adults with all types of chronic illnesses and disabilities, so both physical and mental health related, visible and invisible illness. So we do all the non-medical side of living with health struggles. So Mm -hmm. we do advocacy campaigns, leadership programming, um, virtual programming, and free events. And since we're international and have a big virtual presence, we work with young adults across the United States, Canada, all of the United Kingdom and as of 2019, Australia as well. We're That's amazing. Taking a dip into the, the down under community, down under. so we'll see how going that down works. under. <laughs> so it'll be four years this June since I launched it. I launched it a month after I graduated from university, um, and really, I always tell people when they ask. Obviously, being 26 and owning a nonprofit is sort of an yeah. odd tagline to introduce yourself with. Um, so most people ask why I started, it, especially in this sort of niche community of elder youth health care, if you will. And I always say, well, because I used to be one of them in that way. So right. I was a competitive tennis player for over eight years and was trying to get scouted for a university, do the pro circuit when I was early 20s was sort of the goal. Mm-hmm. And naturally, young teen athletes tend to overuse their bodies. They train through injury um, sometimes, um, just from that old mentality of being invincible in terms of injury. And yeah. right before I turned 16, I got injured in off-season training with my coach. Um, I was feeling like a burning in my hand while we were hitting ground strokes together. He asked if I should like switch my grip on my racket. I did. And I felt this like pop right away in my hand. Um, And it just felt like my entire hand was like burning on fire right away. Um, So they checked it out. My mom was with me as well for like private lessons because they were like at 5 a.m. in the morning um, with like one light on one tennis court (laughs) for me because I was the only one there. Um, And so when we left and I'm a left handed um, individual as well. So um, that was my dominant hand that I injured so without me really realizing it by that day that was the last time I ever played tennis um in any capacity really was then yeah um so my mom being the super nurse that she is sort of immediately examined my hand um called in my orthopedic doctor got me an appointment the next day we did x-rays he kind of was confused and said oh it's probably tendonitis here's some Mm -hmm. physical therapy and a script and sent me on my way but as a competitive athlete I had tendonitis about four times beforehand in other parts of my body I knew it felt different so fast forward a week and my left hand was bright purple four times the size super shiny oh my gosh um really cute and (laughs) um (laughs) and it felt like I always describe it that there was like hot coils being burnt on my skin and sort of being whipped with barbed wire it felt like my skin was being ripped open um and I wasn't I wasn't able to really move my fingers as much at that point even for grips so um I am now ambidextrous which is a fun tip that I learned but it was just to stay in high school I had to learn to write with my right hand that's so interesting so um my doc was a little confused. They did more tests and said, you probably have something called RSD and added more PT. Um, and so for the non-medical people, obviously, like myself, I had no idea what that was. So the right. kind of WebMD version of what RSD is, is it's reflex sympathetic dystrophy. So it's an injury to your neurovascular system. Mm-hmm. So what responds with mo- muscle movement, touch that sensation, um, your nervous system kind of works in a circuit where if it gets injured, it goes through the injury process, goes to recovery and completes it and my injury damaged that nervous system circuit so it goes through injury and it tries to connect 
for recovery and it can't. So then it reverts back and continues to re-injure. Loops. Yeah. So it thinks that there's always this injury there. So you can have muscle spasms. It's chronic pain. um, The bruising because it was rupturing my vascular system in my hand. Um, My hand was about 20 degrees different in terms of temperature between the two. It felt like a corpse was frozen. So um, going through PT, nothing was really touching me and my symptoms looked abnormal. So at that point I was turning 16. I was still in high school. I was one of the staff managers of our newspaper and mm-hmm. doing all of the the type A high school student right. realm of work. Um, and now I was being sort of bounced around to everybody's colleague who studied a certain type of ology and had all different tests. Yeah. So it was just this revolving door of doctors while I was a teenager in high school and trying to balance the two yeah. um, and not really getting anywhere with tests or procedures. And I had my spine fused because my spine started shifting through the whole process. Really? Um, yeah. So um, I had had that done before I went into my junior year of high school. So now I'm like partially titanium. So my friends think I'm like quasi bionic woman at half the time with that. You go off in the airport. (laughs) I do. Sometimes I got wanded once at a museum and it went off and I had to like zip the back of my dress on the top down so they could see my scar. Yeah. um, Because that was awkward in front of like 40 high school students like unzipping. Um, (laughs) And being like, here, I promise it's a suture. Um, So it was just sort of the balancing duo of of, uh, trying to maintain a chronic illness and then it started spreading through the entire left side of my body. So it went into my left leg. So I had a, it was my foot. I wasn't able to walk very well on it. And then it went neurologically into the left side of my neck and head. So I stood like sideways to people. You could see that my whole left side of my shoulder and my neck was swollen. Oh um, it started with brain fogging. I have short-term memory loss from it. So maybe in an hour, I'll forget what I even mentioned about myself, which tends to happen. I always forget too, don't worry. <laughs> I'm always like, I promise it's neurological. It's brain fogging. Yeah. Um, so it just was that sort of chronic pain issue. And it took about two years. And um, my sort of 21st doctor, out of the group um, at that point was able to pinpoint that just from a physiological standpoint, I had issues with my connective um, tissue disorders yeah. that they couldn't diagnose. So they assume I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a hyperelasticity of collagen. So um, I can jump rope with my arms. I can pop my muscles on my hips back wow. and forth and pop my jaw in and out of place. Um, fun party tricks for anybody. Yeah. Um, don't try it at home. Contort yourself. Yeah, I can contour. I'm, a, I'm like a pro yeah. contortionist in that way. Um, and so that was sort of of systemically making all of my health issues exacerbate all the Mm -hmm. time because they fed off of each other. So it started as I continued to age, affecting my cardiac with a tachycardiac, my autonomic, that electric part of your pacemaker and your heart at that point um, fires off incorrectly. So if wow. I'm sitting, my heart rate will jump up to like 180, 190. As if it, you're running a marathon yeah. or something. Um, and when I need it to jump up, it forgets. And I'm like, oh, wait. Um, yeah. So it sort of started to affect mostly the entire left side of my body. And having it take that long for proper treatment, um, I was going into my senior year of high school, going into college. They wanted me inpatient at a pediatric hospital to help with treatment. Um, and at that point, I sort of refused it and wanted to go to college yeah. um, and do outpatient and was working very hard at my health. I brought in integrative medicine. So I was doing traditional physical therapy treatment right. and then doing acupuncture and fire cupping on, with it as well to help with the side, um, sort of, I say like the secondary symptoms of right. just bruising and muscle spasms. And that was able to kind of be my winning combination of how everything was affecting my yeah. body. Um, I ended up having to transfer schools um, right in the beginning. So I had, wow. I say is my medical gap year. Um, yeah. um, so I took a semester off, if you will, 
because I left my first university, um, they weren't very accommodating to my health issues, yeah. and my um, illness reverted back quite quickly. Really? So I left, and my school I went to, St. Joseph's in Philadelphia, they accepted. They said, we'll take, we'll take your full scholarship. We'll accommodate to your living needs. That's what so do you great. need? Yeah, they were fantastic for wow. the years I was there. And that's rare Yeah, Yeah, they jumped right away and met with all of the, sort of their student housing and their disability services and went, what do, how can we frame this working for you? So that's I was still so close. Yeah, and it worked that I could go back home on weekends and do treatments and everything and be near Philadelphia because I was a patient at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Yeah. And then I was a public speaker. I started transitioning into public speaking since naturally I'm quite a mouthy person and advocated <laughs> quite well for myself. Um, my doctors at CHOP were saying, well, you should come in and do patient advocacy. Mm-hmm. We don't have patients that speak to our clinicians about that dynamic. So I was sort of the guinea pig um, patient brought in as a public speaker for their new employee orientations. So I speak in front of like hundreds of their new clinician staff and their non-clinical staff. So from security to researchers to doctors, everybody. Wow. And talk about my medical journey and that especially with that young adult patient demographic, what is that like? Because a lot of people think pediatrics is the cute kids and the St. Jude's commercials, but they phase them out at 21 of children's hospitals. And so you have to deal with my cute, angsty, beautiful teenagers all the time. So I'm doing that. I kept getting the same questions from all of these medical clinicians of, I don't know how to talk to teenagers. They're worried about how their body will look for medical treatments. I don't know what to say. Um, they're very angsty. They seem moody. I don't know what to ask. Well, and they are moody. Yeah. They're teenagers going through puberty. <laughs> exactly. And I just would always say, well, do you ask your teenage patients why? Or I said, obviously, their physical health is going to affect their mental health. And yeah. it was just that I was like flipping on a light switch that no one was getting. Yeah. And I kept, I went to so many different hospitals for treatment. So I was never in the luxury of one facility with all right. of my doctors. So I wanted to, as I transitioned out of my dream of being a pro tennis player mm. and into what my body could do, um, I was looking to go into non-governmental work. So working with like UNICEF or their refugee commission, right. doing charity work that way. And I had a doctor one day mention, they sort of laughed and said, well, instead of doing working for a charity, you should just start your own. Um, Because they said, I don't know if there's any charities out there that work with young adults with chronic illness. And I wasn't fully diagnosed. Even 10 years later, I'm still not fully diagnosed on paper. Um, So on that end, I was doing all this research while I was in college, and I never had a charity support network. I never found anything um, while I was sort of going through the diagnosis process on just the non-medical side of my illness and how that was affecting my life. I always say I never met someone with a chronic illness until I launched Invisi Youth. So I only had healthy, able-bodied friends wow. who just didn't get it. And they were very confused. Really? Um, yeah. And I and that sort of built the, the friendship dynamic shifts because I couldn't give them an explanation of an illness. Right. So I then was sort of – friends would start to disconnect. They wanted to distance themselves. Right. Maybe not believe you. Yeah. That kind of thing. And if I wasn't yeah. showing up to the parties and the games and interacting in that social setting because I was sick – Right. Um, then you start to actually become quite invisible just in that yeah. young adult community. So. And you're drained. Yeah. You're totally drained. Yeah. I said, if I had to go to school and then three hours of PT and then you want me to hang out, I'm tired yeah. at that point. Um, so on that end, it just sort of really shifted my focus of seeing that there wasn't anything inclusive for young adults right. with all chronic illnesses um, that could just support that environment of the non-medical side of life. Yeah. I, we always say that we're the charity that 
you have to it's not waiting for the cure it's not waiting for your health to return you have to live tomorrow with right. an illness so we're going to help you be empowered to do that the best way that's amazing so that's really where the charity kind of came in i always joke that my senior year of college was not the fun relaxing one i went home every weekend meeting with accountants and lawyers and yeah. building invisi youth and so we launched after i graduated at 22 like a month later that's incredible. Um, with our 501c3 status and we've been sort of smooth sailing for years it's ever almost since. like you built a university <laughs> for yeah. kids because they have these technical schools all these things yeah. for sports and this and that but they don't actually have things for people who are so commonly suffering but yeah have such variety of illnesses too. Ex- exactly and the biggest thing us doing so much work virtually and having that connection because my illness I say I had the luxury of it being visible and invisible yeah. depending on symptomatically if it was affecting my gastric or my heart versus bruising my vascular system mm-hmm. on my limbs where that was very visible if I needed a cane to walk that was visible yeah. other times it wasn't um, if I was brain fogging you, it, there's not an actual fog coming around me I have no idea you have no idea it's happening to right. me So I had the luxury of being able to hide my illness or not, depending on what was happening in my body. Um, And knowing that I straddled that visible and invisible illness community, I made it a fact that we worked with both sides of the spectrum. And that then opened us up to working with the mental health community as well. And we really kind of finding that niche of getting to work with specifically mental health charities as well and having now with our global brand leader program which is leadership they do advocacy and fundraising in countries for us we have some brand leaders now coming on that are strictly mental health advocates and they suffer with different mental health diagnoses and such so having that even with the mental health and physical health community was really important so there must be a lot of um, people involved in the charity that have either had these mental health issues prior to being diagnosed with Mm -hmm. any chronic illness or they just flourish from being so sick or down or getting horrible news or like you not having a diagnosis for over 10 years. Oh, yeah. It's just I will always say it's just naturally as a young person going through just growing up and finding your own voice. Right. It's an emotionally stressful process as yeah. teenagers. There's very few people that look at like their teens and go, oh, this that was just the best time. Yeah, that was a so, so such true. a such a smooth sailing ship so for true. me. Um, so it was definitely on our end noticing that you're naturally if your physical health is it's it's physically I was living in a body that was my health was torturing me every yeah. day. It was painful to wake up every day physically yeah. and being thrown diagnoses and having doctors say, well, we have to test you and see if you have lupus or leukemia and then going there and trying to get tested and then waiting and then sort of having your mortality. It's a lot of blood. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of blood. Um, I went to hematology too and they specialize yeah. in that one. Um, but it was just sort of that mortality conversation kept having to come up to me. Right. And so while you're trying, you have to accelerate growing up very quickly to right. handle those conversations. And you're trying to grow up and and be this person that you think you're going to be when you're little and yeah. you're still technically little as a teenager yeah. and only a young adult and then you're being told these things like you may not live yeah and then but you should keep a positive attitude and things like oh, that yeah. it's like not realistic I mean you definitely I'm sure in your charity you, you kind of face reality with each other but oh yeah learn to 
to keep it positive. Oh, yeah. Keep it positive, but have that dark sense of humor. I always say that my I was a very sarcastic person. My humor was very dry. Working with the the United Kingdom, they joke that I have perfect British humor. It's very dry. (laughs) They understand me right away. Right. Um, But for them, that was always just building, trying to navigate chronic illness and then having it start to affect sort of my social setting, my emotional well-being as I aged yeah. and having to accept a lot very quickly, um, you you do start to have that sort of inner dialogue with yourself of mm-hmm. having to just handle very morbid, traumatic situations and move forward yeah. to sort of make your physical health better, um, but then not having people think that they should check in if you have a physical illness to rarely I had a doctor say, how are you doing with all right. of this? How are you feeling? And it was shocking when they would. Um, the first time I laughed when a doctor asked how I was doing, cause I started talking about my body and he went, no, how are you handling all of this? Right. And I was You're like, inside. oh, oh me. Oh, you yeah. want to talk about me? Great. Yeah. Finally. Amazing. <laughs> and that's why it's interesting that when that people with chronic illnesses don't get therapists to go along with it, Oh, yeah. Without having to go through the whole insurance process because it really should go hand in hand. Oh, absolutely. And I always will say that even just with research that we'll do, even with post-traumatic stress, we deal with that in terms of post-health trauma of of a young adult having a cancer diagnosis, going through treatment, going into remission. Right. Everyone sort of gives you the pat on the back and goes, great, you're healthy now, but you've been going through treatment for three years and that's your focus. And now you're 18 instead of 15. You're going, oh, wait a minute. And now you have to just act physically healthy and normal, right. but you've just been sort of in a medically traumatized situation. And every couple of years you have to get retested yeah. and it's the whole thing comes back to you, I'm sure, of that oh, original diagnosis. Oh, absolutely. There's just sort of that triggering point and yeah. when people don't associate invisible illness as sort of all-encompassing physical and mental health, it's right. building health as health is that conversation. Yeah. So you're, you're normalizing it in a lot of ways. Oh, the, yeah. The idea of... Ha- mental illness but also chronic illness it it's everywhere but people aren't really talking about it oh absolutely and it's just for us well a big thing i'll say anytime i do speaking engagements is living with a chronic illness or living with a mental illness and living a life with health and happiness and success are not mutually exclusive right just because i'm chronically ill does not mean i'm not happy and right successful. and i'm pretty sure i've never met one person who's completely happy and healthy and successful but doesn't struggle from something oh absolutely i would like to meet that person yeah (laughs) they should take me out for some coffee (laughs) right i really want to know what you're all about (laughs) what's your secret (laughs) that's so interesting so how where exactly did the charity start where where did you focus it in the very beginning in the beginning our first year i'll always say our first year was sort of our growing youth area that was when i was first out of college as well right and kind of navigating should this be a nonprofit? could i could this actually become my career path and sort of right away seeing so many young people and their parents just jumping on it and That's seeing amazing. the especially well i'll always say i have a soft spot for the british but they just really jumped right away yeah um and were so supportive and that was sort of a kick to me and who I was working with at that time going okay we we've built something's right here because right. something you hit a nerve there you has a nerve to somewhere and sort of having us were we were so focused on um just all this advocacy work but then I was seeing having so many young people writing to the charity on social media and commenting on our website and just 
asking all of these non-medical questions for fashionable medical accessories or I mm. I want to talk to my I friends. Love that. Oh, I know. I always Those I don't Those are things you don't even think oh, about. Oh, anytime I got a medical accessory, if I got like an isotoner sleeve helps with compression yeah. um and it was skin tone. I'm practically albino looking <laughs> pale, um which is not for my full Italian bloodline at all. And I would have to wear these weird tan colored sleeves on my arm, my left hand and my yeah. arm and it was the most unattractive right. thing. Right. They try to make it look Oh, like yeah. skin tone. And, um, but... Because there's because there's one type as, right. as that I would look at and start laughing on it, and it was I would start taking like scarves and wrapping through it to make yeah. it try to like look cute and chic for me. But it was just nobody was talking about all these non-medical sides of it. And then at the same time, I was still dealing with my chronic illness. I still do. Yeah, it's my new normal, as I say, of how I kind of live my life a decade later. Mm-hmm. And after the first year, it was my health was starting to take a hit physically, and I had to really reevaluate how can we structure this ha- charity that it's not only adaptive for everyone else who right. comes in to volunteer or be in our leadership group or use our resources, but it's adaptive to me that if I need to take a physical step back, it's going to it's flex. Gonna live. Yeah, it'll breathe without right. me for a little, for a few days. Right. So even within the first year, I had to really reevaluate it with our board of directors, with our volunteers. Okay, how do, can we restructure this? Yeah. And that's where more of like the virtual end of our programming came into play. Every person who volunteered with me, who supported us right in the first year it was wiped a whole new slate we the charity looked different it sounded different i had a whole other team of people that were sponsoring and yeah. working with the charity because it had to work on my body's terms yeah which i never really allowed my health to kind of take the driver's seat and what was working yeah and in a way, being able to make virtual programming and having we have a video podcast series, the Invisive Chat Sessions that we host that's biweekly that has downloadable resources that correspond with it. Right. And it was just sort of getting this health conversation and virtually being able to not just connect on social media, yeah. but being able to talk about living a life with chronic illness and how you can do that successfully. Right. And then not getting down on yourself every oh, yeah. day because everyone else... Yeah. You get in that mindset. You think everyone else is all happy and healthy and walking around. Oh, yeah. And especially with invisible illness, I always say you can just, even for physical invisible illness or mental health, you're always going to, you're walking around and seeing people who are chronically ill and you don't know it. Um, You're seeing that and having that conversation of even just changing sort of disability parking signs that not in a wheelchair. We have one of, we have people all the time that have like the guy sitting in the wheelchair with his arms out like, woohoo, free parking as his joke. I mean, people are seriously judgmental of those who are who park in handicapped spots who oh, look yeah. like they're okay. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Oh, 100%. Even they when I walk. shame them. <laughs> and my sister was with me one time when I went to a meeting, and I had to use a cane that time because I had injured my foot into my knee. So I was in, like, combat boot heels. So they were thick and had grip on it. So if I lost sensation in my leg it would help. Right. Um, and I was walking with a cane and I was dressed for this meeting and my sister was with me and people were constantly looking because I look young and I'm walking with a cane and I'm like dressed well, right. but I'm still walking with it. And just the constant looks and actual verbal commentary. My, even it's my, shocking. And even my sister was starting to get very protective on that end. And I, I've gotten so used to laughing it off and that just, if somebody's going to stare at me and my help, I will just stare right back at them. And 10 times out of 10, they're like, oh, wait, is she, why is she staring at me? Right. Oh, she must have caught me. And then right. it's just sort of checking other people of, if you have a question, ask me. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you if it's not an appropriate question. Right. And also just don't assume things. That, oh, yeah. And you can always tell when someone 
everyone's assuming in a negative mm-hmm. way oh, rather yeah. than a positive way. Oh, yeah. You get the – I always say it's the ASPCA look on their face. Right. Sort of the tilted head. Aww. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so have you met anyone with your similar illness? Um, through your charity? Yeah, through my charity, sort of early on meeting other people with RSD or with um, connective tissue disorders in that way, um, they kind of fall into so many other categories of having subsequent other chronic illnesses built right. into it. Um, so that was really wonderful to like go to my own charity events and meet somebody and watch them brain fog in a conversation yeah. and being, <laughs> oh my God, you know how that Me feels. Too. <laughs> and it was just wonderful to be able to right. have that experience yeah. because I had to be very proactive and living with an invisible illness even with mental health will I'll always say to the young kids at the charity just you have to be proactive you don't get the luxury of being reactive to right. people because they can't see it yeah. so you have to be proactive and 80% of that's verbalizing to them totally what's going on and you don't want to be handled with kid gloves either yeah. which is what a lot of people do when they do that ESPCA tilt yeah. <laughs> and and you really you really want to be treated like everyone else, but it's interesting how you how you related to the person who had the similar issues as you by almost laughing. Like you find the humor in life and your situation as if it's any anyone without a chronic illness. Yeah, and a lot of times you have to remind yourself of that, especially living with any sort of illness, physical and mental. You tend to think that, oh, people aren't reacting well to me because of my health or because of sort of your medical situation. And you kind of have to, in a way, have to always check yourself going, this might happen if I was healthy and able-bodied as well. Yeah. It's just going to take more of a punch to like my self-esteem because it's right. my physical health's ability to do things. Yeah, and you can't take too much personally either yeah and that's hard when you're a young adult i'll always say it's it's the one part of life when you're evolving and you're growing into sort of your own inner ideas of what you like and your own persona right and then to throw on to it the obstacles of a chronic illness or a mental illness at the same time because naturally most mental health struggles are properly diagnosed in that sort of university 20s age demographic while they're still growing and figuring themselves out right so then to put on a mental illness diagnosis or a physical illness diagnosis is it's jarring so you have to reevaluate so it must be there must be a lot of conversation around how dating is possible with chronic illness oh yeah there's just even from from it being very visibly apparent when it's an invisible illness that tends to always be at the charity i always joke that we'll get dms like asking about dating yeah. advice I always be like damn we need to have a board member who's like a dating guru yeah. or something because you're always sort of throwing it off because it's, it. it's a huge part of it if you think about it everyone just wants to find a person to spend their life yeah. with and when you don't really know your timeline and don't know if people will really understand, if you could find someone who will understand, yeah, that's it's a major thing. Yeah, we even recently um, we kept getting a lot of feedback on our Twitter account because um, Dr. Phil had an episode recently a few weeks ago where he had a married couple on, and he said ten at, ten times out of ten you can't be the lover and the caregiver, and my whole community internationally just like blew up in commentary yeah. of of married couples who we work with who are married or and committed relationships with their spouses um, or their partners in that way and showing that 
reality of this is my husband, yeah. but also he does he is a caretaker for me physically. But that's literally every relationship. Exactly. So that is an absurd statement. To it me. was absolutely ridiculous. But to see the chronic illness and disability community come out Rise in up. full force yeah. with these hashtags, I was I had to ask one of our volunteers. I was like, "What did Doc? Why is Doctor Phil popping up here? Yeah. <laughs> this he never comes up in our Twitter feed. What is happening? He's not even licensed. So. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> um, so it was just really weird on that end. So what um, I had brought up as sort of a prime example, because we were having some of our global brand leaders were bringing it up going, see, this is the issue when it comes to us dating. We don't want people to we don't want to have that reliance on another person yeah. medically because um, you've seen it with your family members do it just so selflessly because you're part of the family it affects the whole dynamic but um i always brought up because naturally if i get a fun moment i'll talk about the bachelor um but there was um so sarah highland who's on modern family she has um, a chronic illness that affects her kidneys she's had dialysis kidney transplants Mm -hmm. and so she's in a relationship with a man named wells who was in the bachelor franchise and when she kind of came more forward with her recent dialysis and transplant all of that that she had kept secret there were so many interviewers talking to Wells going, well, it must be so wonderful that like you're a special human being to take care of her and like become that caretaker. And I just remember him consistently laughing in interviews going, well, she might need more medical caretaking, but on on the flip side, she's a caretaker to me and other right. things. Hers is just more life-threatening than right. mine. And it's clear that She's probably been struggling with that yeah. far before he was even in the picture. Oh, absolutely. But having a healthy, able-bodied partner just sort of laugh at the question going, there's nothing special about what I'm doing. Right. It's just, this is my girlfriend. I love her. I'm doing... I'm going to treat her. Yeah. And when I'm having a treated. crap day at work or something goes wrong for me, she's going to yeah. step up for me too. Absolutely. I just have to step up more in a medical manner. Yeah. I did I did read that um, announcement she made about it. That yeah. was so great. Because a lot of people were were making comments because this is what everyone does on social media mm. about her weight oh, fluctuating. Mm-hmm. And that was all they saw. Oh. And they have no idea what's going on underneath that. Yeah. It's, it's baffling to me, but that's a really good response he gave. Yeah. Oh, and just even from on her and from like in a physical standpoint of how chronic illness can affect physically, even people don't realize if you're even in sort of how your emotional state that you're in with yeah. your health, that just sort of physically affects how you are as well. Certain medications change yeah. your your weight and everything, having adaptive equipment, having medical accessories, a pick oh line, gosh, a yeah. port, oxygen, the whole nine. And not being able to exercise. Oh, yeah. And you, yeah. your diet's restricted in some ways. Oh, yeah. I, even on my end, going through sort of, I was a, a competitive athlete, yeah. so my body was Went into 16 shock. oh yeah. yeah like chiseled tone i'm working out six hours a day and conditioning all of this yeah and then going to being having spinal surgery at one point so i wasn't i was medically not allowed to move much right. at that point and then sort of watching your body sort of tip the other way and then having to come to terms with that conversation of having a body confident mentality yeah. when for young especially for young women that's just a whole that's other already a big issue yeah and then you know that your body can't physically look different ways or you have scarring on your body and you have to yeah. sort of maintain a confidence it's a and whole now other... with like social media uh-huh. and everyone's staring at these mm-hmm. beautiful people on Instagram oh, yeah. all day and then you just start comparing yourself and then it you go down this dark rabbit hole. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. The the Instagram feed is always a, always a wonder some days I know. for us. <laughs> Sometimes I uh 
check out for a bit. <laughs> for sure. I yeah. do as well. I took eight months off maybe last time I did it. It was really great. I didn't miss it at all. All of our social volunteers laugh at me that I have no social media personally. Yeah. It's only the nonprofit that I'll like pop on and help out with them. Right. Or all it really my- distracts from your life in a lot of ways. I mean, I, if you're yeah. focused, if your job is your charity and you're focused on that, that's all you need to be doing oh and i always i laughed to them i said you're way more i stay way in tune in terms of what sort of the young adult population likes if i had to then worry about like my own instagram feed i that sort of facebook kind of came into like popularity right when i got injured so in my mindset i was like guys i am in i am like waiting for like a hospital visit i am not gonna update like a facebook post be like hey waiting in the right (laughs) waiting in the waiting room it was just so it was so not part of my narrative that to then become a young adult um, I always – my friends will always joke. They're like, oh, we couldn't – like if we set you up with a guy, we can't have him find you on Instagram. He's just going to find your charity if he Googles you. I went, well, you know, that takes that takes the edge off the conversation. Yeah, he has a lot to learn when you actually <laughs> yeah. have a normal sit-down date face-to-face and oh, find so... out all the information beforehand. And then, Like that vacation you took six months ago right, that I wasn't – preconceived <laughs> judgments about you. So interesting. So you, you mentioned um, public speaking and everything. Mm-hmm. How did – how with like your brain fogs and all of that were you able to do that it was really in my sense of um leaning on my strength as a writer Mm -hmm. so I one of my majors in college was English writing I've written novels I'm going down the route for publishing so sort of the flowery literary world was my interest so going into public speaking I had to you have to find a confidence in what your weaknesses are Mm -hmm. I relied on my humor and knowing that if I was giving a speech and completely fogged I I had to make a joke about it so that there was some way of jumping back over to look at my speech that I had written going oh okay I'm over here and I mean the first few times it happened I would sometimes my I'll have sort of muscular tics so I'll start to like stutter right um on that way and then that's very obvious um and so you're you're dealing with sort of that very apparent issue of fogging and forgetting and stuttering and then trying to kind of navigate maintaining I'm still I'm still the public speaker you're still learning from me I'm capable of answering questions right they're not going to get distracted yeah and it's sort of owning your medical weaknesses I'll always say to somebody is what what makes you feel the most self-conscious you have to try and find the humorous or yeah. positive side I mean of everyone it. loves a self-deprecating person oh anyway. yeah mid mid brain fog is my favorite yeah. while I'm speaking I've learned different cues of how to talk around my fog I'll say really? I can sort of I will repeat things if you watch your like early episodes of the invisive chat sessions you can watch me fog really I can see it because it's my own body probably right. able-bodied people have no clue but I can listen to myself talk and repeat the same phrase in three different ways yeah. before I'm like oh and I remembered right I've then. had <laughs> full-on brain fogs in my yep. sessions before too <laughs> and it, it you can tell because I'm rambling yes. or I oh. say something and I have no idea how to end this yeah. sentence. <laughs> and I'm laughing going, Dominique, you said this three times yeah. already in three different ways. Yeah. We but it's it. funny. People just don't notice that stuff. Oh, no. Yeah. Not at all. And they it's won't. Oh, it's just trying to find. Everyone's worried about themselves. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Yeah, they're trying to get there. If they're listening to your podcast, they're listening for what you want to say. Right. So you have to kind of own that sort of medical complexity as I say it's so true but you made a good point I was just thinking about you you mentioned how you really have to 
know all of the things going on within the youth culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it makes sense why you'd watch The Bachelor and things like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say women well into their 30s and 40s watch <laughs> The Bachelor, but yeah. what other, what kind of, is it because people bring this up to you all the time or you just want to know what your audience and your members of your charity are? It's sort, yeah, it's sort of hand in hand because the sort of the young adult interest evolves so quickly. Um, even sort of when we started Instagram with our Instagram, there was no like Insta story was just starting. Yeah. And now it's sort of our tool of not dedicating a certain post to something, but still communicating. Right. Um, and so having that is sort of evolving into that. The first time we had our social media volunteers going, Dominic, do a boomerang. I was like, do a what? Yeah. Like I was so out of it and just having them having to explain so much but yeah it was somewhat of wanting to maintain the knowledge of how we speak to young adults being relevant to them and something that if we're building programming and events that's why we have 40 new global brand leaders coming to us with different illnesses in different countries because right. if we're building a program or i'm building episodes of a podcast i don't want it to be irrelevant yeah and still have that touch of how they want to be spoken to right but then also on the other side it's that of what content they're watching in media right what they want to even be talking about what makes them happy, and knowing that they're so underrepresented in an actual quality manner in terms of having like accurate representation of that diversity in health um which you don't see very often of and just trying to have they get so excited when you find a show that has a character with a mental illness or a a character that is physically disabled or has a chronic illness where it's not the sort of emotional punchline it's just a part of their narrative and you continue the movie oh exactly exactly with five feet apart as well sort of having knowing the back end of how much was going in the director justin baldoni has such a strong tie to the cf community um one of our global brand leaders who's a friend of mine claire wyland um before she had passed away this past september um but she was such a strong friendship with justin she was really helpful as like a cf mentor in the building of that film with um the actors in the film as well and to have that medical attention to detail and knowing it for the year or so that we knew about it from the back end to then sort of get such a positive response of um people have it was I, I don't even want to give like an ac- a non-accurate number, but it was like a hundred percent more searched of people just searching cystic fibrosis. What it was, we or... had one of our youth in the UK who has cystic fibrosis took a screenshot that Kim Kardashian was watching it on her Insta story and really? tagged it, and he just said, "Imagine the hundreds of millions of eyes who, who see her Insta story now just saw the word cystic fibrosis." And at least have it crossed their mind. Yeah, in some and way. just that jarring t- tone That's and amazing. having it. Oh yeah, having that. I always I, with the moment we can when the Kardashians pop up and I, I have teenagers being you go Kim I was like oh, yeah. what did she do today <laughs> yeah. I was stoked for her um, but it so was funny. it was just really finding having a conversation yeah. especially from a mental health standpoint having it accurately depicted in right media. that's a big thing because a lot of these films and TV shows mm. give the most extreme version of whatever mm-hmm. illness it is almost just so the audience yeah unknowingly can recognize that yeah like if someone's bipolar they make the characters just totally obscene oh and they put them in full manic manic mania and every start to finish right there's no there's no balance and there and there's it's so 
so much more complex than that. Even the characters in Five Feet Apart, I'm sure, are so different. And mm-hmm. They both have CS, but they're very, very different. Oh, yeah. And having and, and knowing that you're having and on the flip side, you're not having actors with chronic illness or disability. Right. Um, and obviously that is super important to accurately cast that ha- that is such a massive thing of not just seeing yourself represented but physically seeing yourself yeah. represented yeah totally. um, by having somebody who actually is living that day-to-day life and accurately cast yeah doing because there that. are people who have chronic uh-huh. illnesses who would love to be actors oh and they, and they are and they, actors right and they we, shouldn't yeah. be you know yeah turned away for that oh 100 percent. it's not a liability yeah. it's an it's an accessible tool that will make you more marketable right and these movies will only be better if we portray real life people which are people with chronic illnesses mental illnesses all the time oh we even say it's strictly with sort of the amputee and the partial limb community yeah imagine the money you save on not having to cgi an able limbed actor right and just hiring an actor who has the partial yeah they actually did that with um the movie with the shark bite Oh, yeah, I feel you. Yeah. I know. Damn. Bethany Hamilton. Yes. I know her. She has, a, she has an awesome foundation. Really? She has an amazing foundation. That's amazing. Yeah. She's she's such a cool chick. Yeah. yeah. I think the girl who played her in a movie had a CGI arm. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Anna Sophia Robert. Yeah. Remember she yes, pl- yes, when yes. she played her, yeah. 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 And it's just sort of finding that sort of tuning of right. being bringing awareness, especially even in a physical health or in a mental health scenario, but realizing that you can actually hire people who have that experience or direct connection is a really wonderful thing. And if you're not going to be able to accurately cast, really get your facts, like really have the amount of attention. And have that person like Bethany yeah be a mentor throughout the film yeah. to make sure it's the best yeah and like even on our end knowing how justin baldoni really took it into his heart of yeah not even ma- just making it sort of a passionate sort of love letter to claire and her legacy in her life but right. also really wanting to do it right letting the film ha- be able to fundraise for her foundation and for yeah. cf um Amer- in the states as well for that research is just really like put your weight behind it yeah if you're gonna talk about an illness really back it right you don't want to half-ass yeah <laughs> half-ass a film like that <laughs> not at all <laughs> so how are how are um how do you react when when you do get it because it seems like a lot of people when they're struggling with with an issue like the Dr. Phil thing Mm -hmm. and they come to you guys and kind of say that this is unfair. This is a horrible depiction or this is bullshit, whatever it is. What, how do you guys react to that? Do you kind of take a stand and say, okay, well, we're going to write a letter to Dr. Phil or this and that. Like, what do you guys do in those situations? A lot of what we do is because we're so connected to social media is really finding a lot of the other heady, heavy hitters that are activists in that area. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times now, because we've done so much work on that end, having the, they'll start just naturally tagging us in their posts about it and being able to then use our international platform and start sharing it. And really, on our end, we'll just say as the nonprofit, like doing research, we always, I'm very adamant saying that we're a non-medical charity. If there are people coming in that want specific medication or medical advice, 100% of the time, I am more than happy to have us send you to another nonprofit we love right. to work with. Referrals. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the best thing on our end is we're happy to send you over to charities that can best support you yeah. in sort of your medical journey. But being able to use our advocacy platform of just – 
not even taking a stand. I always say we're very bipartisan as a nonprofit. We sort of stay very sort of Switzerland in how we like to do things, but just showing sort of the natural human tone of conversation and sharing not people who are going to be on the soapbox barking at the able-bodied community. I mean, I could do that left, right, and center just saying that naturally – just the physical structure of the world is from right. healthy, able-bodied people. So it's not catered to us. We have to adapt to yeah. everything just physically as well. It's not accessible. Right. So then you have to sort of take that stance of going. It's so easy to make things accessible, but it's just from step one, you're already walking into a barrier mm-hmm. and you don't even notice it. Yeah. So you mentioned that you guys hit a big market in, in overseas. Mm-hmm. And I know mental health particularly, while it's already taboo to speak <laughs> of in mm-hmm. in the U.S., it's still – it's getting better. But I heard it's even worse from – and from what I read in places like England and these European countries and things like that, they don't talk about it as much. Yeah. And you have to – you have to always – what we'll always say is the two main mental health charities that we work with, they've – we've had some of their staff on our video podcast series. Um, in the UK, we work with The Mix, which does um, just young adult mental awareness – mental health support, but just – young adult awareness in terms of anything that they struggle with financially, sexual orientation, sort of job finance issues into mental wellness as well. Um, And doing that in the, in Canada, we work with Jack.org, which is a young adult mental health advocacy network. Um, I mean, they are the rebel game changers in that way of how they change, they allow young adults to build the narrative of how you talk about mental health. That's so great. But being able to work with charities like that, that their niche is mental health and mental wellness um, and supporting the young adult network that is really you get to see the pulse of different countries and how that conversation goes because naturally in the UK there is there's since we started there is such a push forward of trying really hard to build a narrative of talking about mental health Mm -hmm. and um, even in the UK they have the Heads Together campaign which the Royal Family Foundation pushed um, and even even this past week the mix was part of that conversation with um, Prince Harry being at a meeting with a lot of other Heads Together charities that are part of that umbrella and just showing the that there needs to be conversation that it's not it it's not suffer in silence this isn't don't yeah. don't talk don't you can just get over the hurdle yourself right um cuz that just builds a stiff upper lip oh yeah keep the calm British carry stiff on upper yeah lip. and it's just sort of getting them seeing how hungry these especially young people are to actually talk about it what we'll yeah. always say the biggest issue especially with mental wellness is is especially with young adults they feel like if it's not to the extreme of I have a mental illness diagnosis and it's that bad, in quotes, right. then I shouldn't complain. Right. So they think, but I'll always even say when we speak to young adults with physical illness that it's affecting their mental wellness, I'll say if you had like a small flare-up of an issue with your physical body, wouldn't you mention it to your doctor? Uh, of course, of course I will. I said, why do you want to wait until your it's mental like really health and then, is yeah. unmanageable. It's, I said you have to build that self-care narrative from the beginning. You don't wait until it's so severe that you can't find the light right. at that point. And that's sort of where, especially from a mental health conversation with us, that's where we're at now is just sort of getting 
always having young people talk about how do you have those conversations with people? If you need support, how do you ask? If you don't like verbalizing, talking about all the forms of therapy, Mm -hmm. um, people always think it's there's such a not even stigmatized, but such a stereotype of the only form of mental health therapy is sitting on a couch talking to a therapist. And Telehealth, there's, there's all oh, the things yeah. now. And it's just, I said, yeah, there's there's things like Talkspace and having that conversation of having things that are more technology savvy for you. There's animal therapy, sports therapy, music therapy. Um, that you can really look into what are your interests and finding an out- Oh, yeah. Everything. Finding an outlet that works for you. You don't have to verbalize your issues or yeah. what are what is sort of the struggles in your mental health. I mean, it's hard to verbalize a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. Some people just don't even know how to describe how they're feeling because mm-hmm. they don't or and, they just that's a big fear for them and a big thing they'll always put so much pressure on somebody who is suffering with their mental health mm-hmm. and saying well here are all these resources here are hotlines here are charities like feel comfortable ask your loved ones for support but that just puts all of the weight on somebody on who's already struggling with their mental wellness right. and i said you have to as the support network and families you need to step up you need to do better Take charge because the, everyone's big concern is is when i say how are you and somebody doesn't say good Right. You then get you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to lead somebody the wrong way. And I said 90 percent of the time, it's just making checking that person is aware that you're there, which is what would keep so many suicides from happening as well. It's noticing the signs, too, and noticing what's, what's going on with these people. If you're not. Yeah. Reaching out every once in a while. Yeah. And it's checking in and but knowing that even if you don't have the right, everyone worries about saying the wrong thing. And if I see a friend struggling, I don't want to say the wrong thing or especially with like an invisible illness side for physical and mental health. I don't want to say something insensitive. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Right. So then you go to silence. Right. But then even worse. Yeah. And I said just even physically showing your presence, just physically showing up not saying anything about it and just continuing on. But that person knows you're physically present in their right. life. And knows yeah. that you know. Yeah. Unspoken. You just have to show up and do better yeah. in that way and be able to, even if you address it once and your friend backs off the conversation, but you got to at least extend the hand right. of conversation. Absolutely. So how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I am doing well. I mean, it's been, I always say like even on our end with um, sort of having your mental wellness you have to having a chronic illness and growing up with it like I said you really accelerate the growing up process and on my end in terms of my mental well-being some Mm -hmm. people kind of go through the process and they really check in and it's having that emotional journey with it I had so much kind of chaos of so many doctors coming in and out and tests and surgeries and procedures that so much was chaotic that I just really zeroed in and just said okay I'm going to sort of head down burrow through this but then there was no checking and it felt so disconnected from me that by the time I was 20 and had some stability in my health at that point I was just it was just such a daunting it felt like a disassociated narrative right that when I give speeches it feels like a secondary story right you must it's like you were asleep and you've finally woken up and and that's sort of you have to there's sort of two different ways if you will in terms of like the scale of emotionally processing a chronic illness is going through it and really sort of delving in and checking in on yourself and going through the process with your health issues or more on the way of where I took it where I really just 
disconnected from it, but then you kind of have to hit all of it at once. Right. And you're going to have to face it at some point. Yeah. And it's so much acceptance. It's looking at life differently. It's appreciating things differently. I have like the most Zen way of like looking at the world in terms of what are major problems for so many of my friends. They don't scale in comparison because I've had such another extent to it. But I also like when my healthy, able-bodied friends complain about like, damn it, that thing I wanted. The little, on, the uh, little that, things that, that don't. That thing was back ordered on Target that I needed. Right. And just hearing the amount of like strain they have for right. it. they would be like, how are you? And went, oh, well, I and had to get blood work done today. Say, Fuck my life. Uh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's always just, oh, I need, I, I had to. And then they check in, oh my God, I shouldn't complain. But no, no, right. it's just, we have different scales of, of issue. Right. And you have to just sort of, you have to emotionally go through an acceptance process. It's a grieving process when yeah. you get a diagnosis you're grieving sort of the health that you had if you live with a chronic illness your entire yeah. life you don't know a different narrative right so you're saying goodbye to this one phase mm-hmm. of your life in a, in so many ways and then accepting oh, yeah. what's new which is not your ideal yeah and that's a big especially with young adults it's it's such a hard thing to sort of navigate your own emotional well-being while you're physically dealing with a lot even just from a mental health standpoint having to check in if you do little things of self-care throughout the journey of just your life you won't deal with the massive pile up later on and that's where that's especially with invisive that's what will always sort of encourage is like if you're not doing well like find different things of self-care that you that you enjoy and for some people it is more like aggressive like i want to do kickboxing and like i need to be more physically active where other people it is more meditative and like holistic arts in that manner um in other ways you just have to kind of find what gets you to tick in a positive way and sort of navigate your therapeutic outlet through it. And it's hard because humans already get bored so easily. Oh, yeah. And hate change at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, when you live with a chronic illness, you almost don't even have time to get bored because you're constantly changing everything. Because it's a second job. Right. And I think that what that's what makes you have a different outlook versus able-bodied people who complain about, the wrong Starbucks order, and then that's the end of their life. Or the worst I, I day still ever. complain when they don't yeah. put enough espresso in my oh, drink, of guys. Guys, or the foam. The foam. <laughs> so, so you must get a lot of messages all the time. Mm-hmm. How do you disconnect for your own self? Yeah, that's a big thing we'll get a lot of times because because of working across sort of the health spectrum, you do get to work with young and people. time zones. Yeah, so you're oh, getting yeah. them all day, especially mm-hmm. when like now we're going into Australia. We're right. being in the New York area. They're fifteen in the hours future. different. They're, They're literally the a day apart. I yeah. I screwed up meetings multiple times yeah. where I would think it's Wednesday, but it's actually their Thursday, and very confused by the right. whole thing. But um, it's just because we deal with across the whole spectrum. There mm-hmm. are people who are diagnosed with it's a terminal illness or it's a life threatening illness so terminal in the sense that they know they have a timeline yeah um and that their health is going to be um the thing that ends up ending their life for them or even life-threatening where there's a lack it's completely unknown they there could be a spontaneity to 
um, sort of the crash on their health. There is that right. don't let the other shoe drop mindset. And sort of having those two with the charity, you do end up, I mean, it's been four years and you build connections with other, a lot of these young people that come to events, they work with the charity. A lot of them have become very good friends of mine. And they trust you and yeah. want to really And then connect. you're sort of a part of that process if they have to go through organ transplant or, they, or they're going right. through a treatment and you see the decline happening um, or there's the sponta- spontaneity of something happened and then all of a sudden they're in the hospital, it's ICU and you have yeah. 48 hours and then something happens happens you have to then look at sort of that bereavement process as well um, and checking in on that where similar to mental health bereavements like never discussed within the health community because most doctors don't want you to think about dying which is something that's all all happening my friend Claire Weil and her I always say her my introduction to Claire's YouTube channel if you will and her sort of YouTube fame um, was that her intro was so I'm dying faster than everybody else and it was because she has cystic fibrosis it's a terminal illness, but yeah. it was a humor to the way she built a relationship Humanizes with death. A hundred percent. And then by having someone like that opening up the conversation, it allows so many other people to look at their life differently, how you live, you're only guaranteed the present day. So focusing right. on tomorrow is very different. But it is you have to take a a little bit of a step back, especially with you might be in a physically better space with my health, but then I'm working and I'll get 10 of our global brand leaders coming in and they're emailing me they're or texting me personally going they're in the hospital they can't do this they're something else happened they're going for more tests or something else is going wrong so much emotion yeah and you're trying to kind of help them through that process but it's really giving them the tools to navigate um with one another because social media is such an outlet of support for them as well and sort of allowing us to kind of bring them out to other people yeah checking in with other brand leaders go and knowing they might know them on social media and going, Hey, just th- send some like positive vibes their way. Like check yeah. in, just like answer to their Insta story or do something. And having them really check in on one another allows you to kind of take that step back. My, right. my health is part of my day to day. It's subconscious. Yeah. I have to do like a medical check in every morning and be like, can you move your leg today? Right. So for me, it's such a part of the narrative, but some days it is, you just, you kind of sit there and go, I need to watch something super yeah. funny. I just need to kind of take talk a step. to anyone for a little. Yeah, yeah. I just need like the quiet and like watch some like Premier League soccer and just yeah. like go into like a different mindset. But that's what's <laughs> great about building a community of like-minded people and similar ages mm-hmm. because you're you're building this backbone for them to support each other. It's a yeah. support group, not just for you to be the one who's holding oh, yeah. on to everyone. Oh yeah. And keeping them afloat. Yeah, and having that sort of that whole leadership program with us of finding these young people and most of them are predominantly young women um, right. in the chronic illness community publicly, which is a whole other a whole spectrum other of thing. conversation. Yeah. But having them really having honed in on their activism style and sort of the whole scale of activism, some of them are very subtle activists as we'll describe in terms of style where mm-hmm. they it's physically you'll watch them how they put on makeup how they answer questions if they're deaf or or if they're blind and you're watching them do everything that able-bodied people are doing but you're watching them subtly show 
how they're doing it with a physical difference. Yeah. And then watching people very full force, they're fighting legislation, they're going through healthcare, they're fighting medication coverage, and very public with sort of that fight for medical equality and diversity being shown. And you kind of allow that leadership community to be very diverse right. um, and international. And that allows our network to really see one another and build sort of tool pieces that they can have in their own toolkit, sort of life toolkit, yeah. if we'll say of just things that can help them on a bad day. So in your, with working and building and finding the right staff Mm -hmm. and people to help and volunteers, you obviously use both able-bodied and unable-bodied or I don't know Mm -hmm. the right term, but you, how do, how do you go about that process of like finding the right fit? for the charity. So a big thing on our end is all of our leadership programming, all of our global brand leaders and our um, all-star brand leaders, they all have chronic illness or disability, physical and mental. So that whole leadership program, all of them have a connection directly with themselves with their health, Yeah. Um, which can be struggling in terms of if some of them are having health setbacks or flare-ups. So that sort of the physical consistency, if you will, varies. But that was a big thing on my end of knowing that if I wanted to volunteer with other nonprofits, um, my physical capability changed based on injury or setbacks in health or flare-ups. And I wanted the programming to be adaptive to each person. So every one of the brand leaders who comes in with us or all of our special guests on our podcast, every episode's tailored to their interests. The segments are in in their network, their wheelhouse of tools. And so it just kind of, and making sure on my end that even our board of directors, having consultants who've worked with me at pediatric hospitals or people who have siblings with chronic illness. So there is always that there's no six degrees of Kevin Bacon with us. It's either themselves or one degree. Everyone has that contact um, on our end makes it easier because a people are it's it's that diversity is just second nature. Um, There is I'm not teaching anybody to look at diversity in that manner. For us, I always say when you want to kind of go into intersectional like conversation, I say, you have to like look at the disabled community and the chronically ill community everyone seems to forget that like we're there yeah and i just say because health and chronic illness for most illnesses they don't they don't matter what gender you are what race you are socioeconomic status yeah. sexual they orientation religion no one cares. they don't discriminate your, yeah your your health does not care right. what you are um and that's so intersectional when you get to really see the community yeah. and how diverse it is and getting that conversation moving and having so many people bringing something different to the table with their Absolutely. health. And even from a mental wellness standpoint, they'll even say a lot of times one of the charities we work with, Jack.org, they really make a point of talking and saying it's mental wellness. It's right. that you're improving your wellness and that your brain is an actual muscle. You would naturally train every muscle. So right. remember to do that with your brain as well. Yeah, um, you have to work it out. Yeah, <laughs> you have to. You, there has to be a self-care mindset people for forget that I always will say your brain is an actual physical muscle you have to you you challenge it and learn continue to grow it yeah absolutely you have to make it something that strengthens for you because it can only work as much as you allow it to and I guess when you go through a big illness diagnosis you really it you have to check yourself and 
that's a huge amount of information coming at you so yeah. quickly that you are not prepared for. And then your body is physically reacting to it. Yeah. And, so and, you really have to. Yeah. And it's a whole other two process of whether you get diagnosed or injured um, in your sort of young adulthood versus growing up with a chronic illness or disability. Right. That journey is also very different because it's either it's you have a be- before and after mindset. I have that distinct prior to this injury and after right. where other people it's that's the only scope in which they can look at life because yeah. it's the only thing they've known um so you kind of have to you get to look at different frames of mindset and that's where on our end there's such a level of acceptance and understanding in that community because you're really seeing how as somebody who's not healthy or able-bodied has to maneuver and adapt to yeah. life and be hardworking and check themselves from a mental health standpoint as well and really they they are like just the best advocates constantly that's so incredible what a great charity to come up with i mean it's so necessary and it's so great to have a place where people can be themselves and not only have to talk about what's going on negatively in their lives but also oh yeah oh just even on it from us being so active of saying like i was very adamant in the beginning going well should we stem into physical and mental health should we just stick to physical health but then just really sitting there and, and knowing all of them talking about their mental health as well of how nobody checks in on that end of their yeah, illness they're or, all it's attached yeah it's a whole system that's why oh, they're yeah. all connected and that's why on our end no no i really want to make that connection yeah. but then on the flip side seeing mental health charities really going we want to work with young right. people who have chronic illness or disability and we want them to know that that we want to have those tools as well of supporting yeah. them too it's the only way to know how to to get to get the awareness in order to find cures for these things too and make the conversation someone they're the future i mean there's someone who's growing up with this illness and then they're going to be adults with this illness and younger people below them will have this illness again and it's it's good to build those relationships and those mentors for when they're technically out of the youth section of oh yeah they're still going to be involved and wanting to mentor other people who come into your charity or any support yeah. group. Oh, just even from the mental wellness standpoint of what we do, getting to see so just trying to get more public attention yeah. to it. I mean, the name Invisi Youth comes from them being the invisible youth in right. healthcare in that way. But on my mindset, it's because they're invincible in that way. They have to fight against so Some much double, of the... Double meaning. There, <laughs> There's yeah. that English major. <laughs> <laughs> that took forever to name yeah. a charity. I um, love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, that's that's a big decision oh man it it took a while um so that's why we joke all of our uh, it's a full board discussion when we named all of our segments on our podcast they're going dominique cannot name this by herself (laughs) it would take forever right um but just going through it on like a mental wellness standpoint of us really making what's invisible of making it very visible making it apparent and trying to help other people in the public eye to make sure that they they actually talk about their mental health in a way that it's not just oh the martyr of the scenario of just they're still living with it and it's still part of their narrative you just you don't have to fit into it's really changing the stig the stigmas and stereotypes and for us we want to try with Invisi to really change the stereotype to being the way in which how we look at things we want people with physical illness or disability to just right out of the gate you just assume oh they must be a severe badass to be able to navigate life their way not 
oh, it should be so negative. They must have so much bad things going on. They must be so sad all day long where I like they're the funniest, most hardworking hysterical group I work with. They're just like the most driven group of young people. And they look at life in such a fun way. Right. I mean, it's that's the way everyone should. Everyone can learn from that. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're not as as we'll hear from a lot of our young people. They're not the inspiration porn for your life, right? Um, is there is their tag for them? Is just we're not we're not supposed to be like getting you moving in the day. It's right. just not like I have to. We're not supposed fun. to be like inspirational no, no. quotes for you. To yeah, look at. <laughs> it's just even getting that mental conversation moving and making yeah. it more just part of like sort of the systemic conversation of people not feeling like it's this. Oh, I have to drop a shocking bomb that I have anxiety. It shouldn't be this bomb dropping conversation and it's it's so interesting to me because people they put so much emphasis on being happy and being successful and what happiness really is but when you think about it it really is just those little moments Mm -hmm. you have throughout your life there is no one grand thing i mean we all do die so there is no one grand (laughs) thing that happens my god don't tell everyone how it ends (laughs) (laughs) there's no one grand thing that happens that we're like all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you've made it to your happiness. Like, this is it. You've made it here. Oh, yeah. It's not like that. It's little things in life. There's always going to be a negative after a positive. It's just the way life works. So it's so interesting that people put so much emphasis on that when if they just looked at these tiny moments to get you through the day, little things like watching a show you love or talking to someone you enjoy speaking with, whoever it is, that's what that's what matters and keeps you going. And oh, yeah. I think if you have an illness that faces you with your life could being that it could end any moment, mm-hmm. if you look at it that way and people who are able-bodied look at it that way then or even struggle with mental health issues and not physical issues, you really have to – that's that that's the key. Mm-hmm. And that's what people want to learn from other people who are going through these yeah things. and it's the big thing you kind of like we were hitting on it while while you were talking i was thinking it's yeah. even just sort of hitting that point that people put so much weight on physical health mm-hmm. and living with a chronic illness or a disability and that having to be the primary focus that yeah. it tend people then don't put as much emphasis on mental health yeah because if you're oh well if you're if we can physically get you to a new normal and or a healthy standpoint then that'll just come right along right but it it's not and you have to put equal weight on physical health being just as important as mental health right. not even just physically talking about it but in a medical standpoint of you can't just always treat okay here's my physical illness if we're doing x y and z a lot of times i would not even in a combative sense but i would be very discussion focused with my doctors going this is why i don't want to do a certain treatment plan because i want to graduate on time like this is a priority i'm looking at the whole scope in which your one physically medical decision will affect me indefinitely and those sort of jarring conversations with doctors going well we need to make you healthy now this is the only priority is your physical health and i'm going well i have to look at how it's going to affect my entire life not just my 
physiology, the sort of like multi-organ system element of it. And that's where people then with mental health, that's why people will always hear with a lot of our youth coming in going, I didn't want to complain because I have to live with this chronic illness or I'm living with a disability. If I'm going to, now I'm going to add something else going that I'm dealing with. I feel like I'm going into like low mood of depression or I can feel more anxiety coming on socially and going into that scenario. They don't want to complain because they're going, my physical health's enough. Right. Right. I mean, if they're, it's like the doctor's giving you a treatment that yeah. is supposed to help you, but there there are all these side effects to it. Yeah. You feel, oh, I can't complain because they're giving me this, mm-hmm. but this is still going to happen and that can't be ignored just because oh yeah even it's okay to be selfish in that oh yeah oh and it's just knowing that you can have that conversation of going that my something that i know is going to affect my emotional well-being my mental health yeah and knowing that I can sit at a table with somebody who has anxiety or depression or bipolar and even though I have a physical illness and they have a mental illness there's so much equal ground that right. we can converse on so relatable so relatable with one another that they both of us will even just laugh going at how much is so similar mm-hmm. in terms of just sort of the health struggle right. that's why for us we'll I'll always say oh it's the health struggles or health setbacks because you want to encompass both right of that sort of full health journey and, and I think a lot of doctors if they you know give you a treatment or say, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to live to see another day. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have those feelings like, what's the point in me living another day? Or what, why am I mm-hmm. doing this? Or why am I here? And why, why should I keep trying? Yeah. It doesn't mean that just because someone grants you that for another day doesn't mean that you even want to take it. And then that's a whole other conversation because there are those days, everyone has days like that, but there are those days that everyone could be doing well and fine and you know the next day it's like a switch yeah and then you have to navigate yeah. that too i know on my on my end um i'm gonna probably completely butcher this example but there's they're like the advocacy network attention like attn mm-hmm. where they put up those like video segments yeah they did one over the summer where they had so like physical actors coming in and it was just if people treated um, mental health the way they treat physical health yeah and it was just the switch of people who were like sitting on the couch and somebody was physically sick but their support networks were using phrases that you would use right. to a friend that was having a mental health this. struggle yeah. and it was they had like one example was somebody was the diabetic and they were saying like oh like i can't go like i might like my sugars they have to, you have to take insulin and that sort of having that yeah. equilibrium having that balance come back and it was just the friend looking going like you complain a lot or you're you're not paying attention or like you never come out anymore and it was just looking at it if you use the same phrases that happen in the right. mental health conversation with physical health you would think people are like the nastiest insensitive yeah. people and it it's was so true and it was flipping it on the switch take going everything so personally yeah too, that if you if you're excluding yourself yeah. from something it's for a reason it's not personal yeah. and it was just so fantastic to see people in like even in comments who were healthier able-bodied going yeah. wow i don't realize that if i'm actually making comments like that and i ha- have friends who have anxiety or depression right. or a mental illness and you're going in that realm and going wow if i actually said this about their physical health i'd be a really like yeah it should be a real pain in somebody's back i mean back. you have to think about that's a you have to think about what you say to people yeah in that's why people used to make – I mean, they still do, I'm sure – make jokes about people having Down syndrome mm-hmm. and autism and all of that mm-hmm. when you really have to be 
conscious of what you're saying because anyone it's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Everyone has something. Yeah, everyone has a connection. Right. You can always watch when, like, a joke will go flat, and you're right. like, oh, crap, wait. They have yeah. they have that connection. Where even on my end with the charity, sometimes what are physical jokes with my illness, if I then sort of make that same joke to somebody else, you can then see that there's a disconnect right. there because I'm laughing at something right. my body can't do, but then they're going, oh, no, no. Like, in their community, you wouldn't make that yeah. sort of a comment to it's them. Like, and it's a cultural thing, <laughs> yeah. too, sometimes. I mean, yeah, I could see if you make a joke about something that's wrong with you, even if someone with the same illness as you yeah. might, might just not find it funny. Oh, yeah. And then you're just, it's awkward. Yeah, I'm just trying to find sort of that equal balance. And, and knowing that if you do step over the line or make a mistake in what right. you say, just like quickly owning it, half the time the issue of feeling like you might be insensitive and I don't want to say the wrong thing, yeah. it's that that pressure on your own end that we feel like you are you don't want to be the one more person tagging on right. to somebody else's I mean, that's stress. a big issue. It's the whole thing. People, we're not all educated in, yeah. in the mental health world or the just the health world in general. Yeah. We're not all doctors. We haven't all been certified. We don't have degrees yeah. and everything. I don't. And I started this podcast <laughs> completely just as someone who's personally been affected by things. And that's that's a huge issue is people just won't speak because they're afraid yeah. To say the wrong thing or they're afraid they'll come off a certain way yeah. when when really just being silent about it yeah. is, the, is a bigger issue yeah. because people understand mm-hmm. if you take the time to explain yourself, we don't know all the right terms and the right phrases yeah. and you learn as you go. You make mistakes. Someone corrects you and then yeah. that's, that's good. Yeah. And especially on my end, I always say that because I had no nobody with a a chronic illness or disability in my friend network it wasn't until I started the charity that I met anyone with a chronic illness or disability the one time I did was when I went through in an inpatient sort of um way of them doing physical therapy and in Mm -hmm. training my network in terms of what would be my outpatient plan so I was there for many hours one day that was the first time I ever saw other teenagers with chronic illnesses and disability around me um and I was 17 it was the first time and that was the one and only time in that whole time frame before I built the charity so from like 16 to 22 there was no I only I had to constantly be the WebMD of my illness having to answer every ridiculous medical question no if you stick a magnet on my back it is not a smart idea a it's titanium it's not magnetic but b if it was is that smart to do no and that's horrible (laughs) and just sort of knowing even as a girl having a scar and and knowing that your body's starting to physically look different from not being able to work out and being on being trialed on medications and taking them off and everything and having friends saying like oh well would you want to wear a prom dress that your scar on your back showing or like how do you feel about that and just knowing that I was never I never had that support network of friends so I was very I kept that private that was with I'm very blessed to have a wonderful sister my parents and that family network was very supportive of me that I was able to kind of disconnect my health from my friends I kept it private and never talked about it. I have I have a few friends that knew about it because they my one friend, um, my really one best friend that's in Florida now. She had her she went up right before I had my back surgery. She had like a hope your back surgery goes well like soiree party for yeah. me. And I'm a big Elvis Presley fan, so she got me like a life size Elvis Presley cutout that I brought to the hospital with Love me. Him, and oh, my life. <laughs> and so like having that was like her just being supportive. She knew she didn't get it, and that was just her way of saying right. I don't 
don't get it, but I'm here because I know this is a struggle right. for you. And for a lot of my friends, it was years later when I had the charity and they came to speaking events or fundraisers or we saw each other in social settings outside of it that they then were able to sort kind of, of check themselves. Yeah. And on my end, it was nice to kind of for a lot of them, it was an apology of going, I'm I'm sorry, I just completely backed off. And I was afraid of not understanding what was going on. And right. you were in and out of school. And I knew that something was up with your health, but I didn't. They were so scared of right. saying the wrong thing or scared that something would happen to me yeah. in that way so it was like almost protecting themselves yeah. yeah and as a young person you don't if you if you're not dealing with that health trauma in your own sort of family network it's hard from a friend standpoint you kind of have to find your own narrative of with your friends and I became very private because right. I had such a negative response from my friends right not getting it making jokes and everything. And it's of, also exhausting to explain. Yeah. And having to go through when I didn't have a diagnosis, it wasn't like I was, oh, okay, cool. I went here. I had this test. Here's the right. name of it. And I also, when you have a fun rare disease, it's always like this acronym for this thing. And right. you're then discussing what everything means. Everybody WebMDs you. And I joke that I'd be like dead six years ago if I listened to WebMD. Yeah. We all would be dead. We all would be dead. <laughs> so it was just even from like a social <laughs> conversation with my friends of going that I, I hated that a lot of them felt the need to apologize just because they didn't know how to say anything to right. me and that's where like having a podcast like yours and having yeah. people who aren't like in a clinician background and just having a discussion and a dialogue right. of what I mean, health does yeah I mean you they people forget you also were once new to this chronic illness yeah. <laughs> you didn't know what it was yeah. either you're yeah I wasn't like at home reading web right. like, books in my like medical journals right. in you're my trying free to time. live your life <laughs> yeah and, and go about your mm -hmm. teenage years growing up and yeah your priorities just happen to be different because it's for your health yeah. reasons but I mean it's you were once like them, yeah. totally unaware. Oh, for sure. And it was just knowing that once I built the charity and I, I encourage so many of our young adults, don't don't completely pull away from your healthier, able-bodied friends because right. just because they don't, they're not going to get it at the drop of a hat. Yeah. My other friends, I don't have to, with my, with the chronic illness community and the friends that I've built from it, even internationally, I don't have to explain anything. They just, yeah. it's just, you get it. Yeah, I get it. And it's right away. It's, it's nonverbal. We understand each other. But on the other end, my healthier able-bodied friends it's it's interesting on that dynamic is so different that mm -hmm. because they don't have to live with sort of the physical complexities that I do for them they really they're so intrigued there's a curiosity there of yeah. how they can help and then they'll look at their jobs and going wow I should probably like I should check in with my friends more and I've noticed right. something about one of my friends like they don't they look like a little off um something seems off about them yeah. and I'll encourage my friends going like check in with your coworker that's a friend of yours like if you think something's yeah. off just check in have lunch together like see that dynamic because even if you show a little bit of a social interest right. if somebody's having like a mental wellness struggle you'll start to see that open communication because yeah. if you everybody vulnerability opens to vulnerability so if I'm if True. I'm gonna like throw my card out on the table like 90% of the time my friends will go oh and then they'll start talking about their emotional struggles that yeah. they're having um, and 
find the compassion and the empathy oh yeah yeah if you turn that mirror on somebody else we'll always say like vulnerability reflects to vulnerability so how has your family been through all of this process really i i always say i'm very blessed that my mom has been she's a nurse for over 35 years hey shout out to the nurses um so especially on that end i mean my mom um we're a full italian family so it's very affectionate very open constant communication but my mom and i have that sort of special bond in terms of even prior to my injury like she is my best friend like partners in crime very very quick and easy with one another um so it is there's such a friendly respect there um in terms of me respecting her as just another woman as well and her medical intelligence but then also having my dad who is in like they've he ran a family music store and he's in the sort of like the music industry on that end that's awesome my yeah my dad has been working in a music store since he's eight and he's now 69 so he on his end yeah so he's like first for six decades on that and my sister's a special education teacher so um it and having people not in sort of the medical community it it changes the family dynamic people tend to forget that if one person is struggling in the household everyone sort of shifts how they communicate with one another so I had the luxury of looking in a doctor's office and if I didn't feel comfortable asking a question or saying something, I could just look at my mom or or ask her. And if she didn't know, she had friends who were nurses who could know or she would be able to kind of check on me there and ask a question. And she could then sort of discuss with my dad and my sister how you guys, how we could communicate to one another and sort of build but the big thing I'll always say is sort of build a co- build the barriers in which you like to speak of your health. Right. Dinner table conversation was not Dominique Boundaries. medical time. Yeah, right. no. Was not Dominique medical chat time at all. We would talk about my sister and her job or we'll talk about what's going on in her life. I talk about guys. My dad will talk about the store um, and everything. So it's just that's our sort of social buffer of like release and right. just not talking about my health. And then if we're doing the dishes, my dad might check in and go like, hey, how was this doctor appointment? Mm -hmm. how did things go so it's just on our end knowing to put sort of that barrier I don't have to physically be talking about my health all the time and from a mental health standpoint when you start to sort of open up and discuss things sometimes it's just your relatives really they want to be so supportive that everyone parents worry (laughs) they're gonna naturally worry oh yeah anyway (laughs) oh naturally and that was my whole thing as well was I could never I tried to curb a lot of what was happening from them because I knew yeah yeah Yeah. but then also knowing that they're their parents they're that's my sister they love me they're going to naturally be affected regardless of me curbing some of it from them or not um it was not going to make anyone feel good when a doctor asked how long have you been having this symptom and I go eight months and I told my parents two weeks ago right um so it's not going to help anybody yeah um but even from a mental health standpoint sometimes it's you it's okay to just say like not now Right. Because sometimes people are like, oh, I want to talk about it right now. And oh, if you're open to it and I'm open, yeah. like full communication, open, fluid conversation. Right. It's not, not 100%. Boundaries are, boundaries are a huge thing because yeah. you really have to be conscious of everyone is their own person going through their own things. Yeah. And you have to be able to navigate yeah. what, who's going through what at yeah. what time. And <laughs> yeah. And don't take one bad experience as the way in which everyone right. will. So right. if like if somebody is talking and you say like, hey, not now, that friend shouldn't feel like, oh, my never God, come never, to them again. never, yeah. just never ask them again. You can ask a second time going. And I always say it's uh, at the charity. We'll say it's like our bookends of conversation. You open it up going. 
I want to ask you something, but totally fine if you don't want to talk about it. Right. And then ask your medical question. And then that gives the power back to the individual to then say, like, you know, I don't really want to talk about it. Or, like, today was just a bad day. Right. Like, feel free to say no. Like, tomorrow, like, I'll I'll tell you tomorrow or something. Or maybe I'll text it to you. I don't want to write. I don't want to say it. Right. So just – but you have to kind of give that and be comfortable with somebody saying, like, not now. Or today's not a good day. And be like, okay, I can come back another time. But right. just sort of being okay with being turned away. That yeah. one bad experience with a friend is not going to be every single friend right. as or, well. Or even that friend every day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because everyone has a bad day. Well, that's amazing that your mom is a nurse because I know from experience I'm also best friends with my mom. Mm-hmm. So it's it's having that scientific background is very helpful, but yeah. also that maternal aspect to it where they want to help you and they also have the knowledge in order to support you and understand what's going on. And, you know, I always think nurses are amazing because they don't use... they're they're my rock stars. Yeah, they don't use... They're not as by the book and it's not... They they connect in a different way than a doctor would giving a diagnosis and leaving the room. Yeah, bedside manner is just like... It's not just a hospital experience. Even just sort of in a work environment talking about your health to your colleagues, to your boss as well. Like that that sort of bedside manner. Sometimes I'll even listen to like coworkers in different settings and you'll listen to them talk and you're like... (laughs) No, 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 that's not, you did not say that the right way, my friend. Right. And so it's just sort of having, cushioning your conversation with people when you're talking about health is better than just, I'm going to not say anything and you don't say anything, but through some osmosis or telepathic communication, you'll know that I'm adapting to you. I'm going, if no one's talking about it, no one's going to know what you need. And it's just like, you have to. We're not psychic. (laughs) No, as much as sometimes I'll be looking going, God, I wish I don't have to say this. Yeah. Because I was so private. I'm still very private about my health. There's even being public with the charity and so public with my health, there's a whole aspect of my medical journey that is not sort of front page conversation and knowing that's okay. Right. That's totally fine. It's okay to be secretive about things. It's okay to keep things to yourself and not share them with people. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I think just because people encourage discussion and conversation doesn't mean you have to share everything yeah and especially from social media guts yeah yeah and especially for social media with young adults there tends to be such a narrative of oversharing oversharing (laughs) everything um or trying to like frame it perfectly like even if i'm in a doctor's office i'm putting the best filter and good lighting and i'm and but at the same time do you want on your social media to have photos of like you're not having a good photo day right no but i say so sometimes it's such a yeah it's catch 22 yeah one of the one of the um young women who i've gotten to work with um owns a nonprofit that works with the breast cancer community and she's a social media influencer professionally in that regard mm-hmm. as well and she always said i always put three i put a couple weeks like two or three weeks between when something actually happens mm-hmm. in her like mental health versus when i may or may not post about it because yeah. i gave myself the behind the scenes curtain discussion of it i've delved with it i've figured some things out my family or friends have been helping me yeah. and now if i post something even if it's a photo a quote picture of a tree whatever that symbolically explains your journey and right. you put it in that caption you have you've dealt with it 
and had your time with it for a few weeks that now there's a disconnect emotionally right. that if you get a comment from a, an account you don't know right saying it's not gonna rattle yeah you. because you've now had that disconnect yeah. so we'll always say especially with young adults and they want to be advocates and i'm going to talk about my mental health and talk about it put have give yourself personally the time to adjust to it yeah. so that if somebody says something a social calendar for your yeah own. yeah journey and putting that sort of barrier going i'm not going to instantaneously post things Mm -hmm. while they're happening because then you might be even in a helpful manner people in your network might be oh try this treatment talk to this person and it's just overload information at least if you give a disconnect Mm -hmm. you can then look and you've had some time and then you can actually look at the positive comments because just ignore the negative ones it's much easier to yeah you can then look at the tips you're getting from friends and you can look at it from a logical standpoint going i think this would fit for me or that would work for me it's interesting i think that's why stories must have taken off so much because of that immediacy like yeah it's it is kind of a look behind the curtain yeah of everyone's day-to-day but even that is sometimes curated now to be oh yeah very specific yeah i'm not good enough yeah. at that for that <laughs> yeah. people i'm like oh, what do you mean delaying these photos yeah. i'm like guys i don't understand it's <laughs> so funny um so you're you're getting into publishing you mentioned Yes, yes. So with my own sort of outside of the nonprofit, I've done like young adult fiction novels that I've written. So now going down that road of um, trying to get the book signed to an agent for publishing. The, typically, my, my one current book now has a character that deals with sort of post-traumatic stress from um, an accident. So dealing with having a young adult character dealing with mental wellness mm-hmm. and that whole grieving process and family dynamics of how that shifts um, I think is super important having yeah. that diversity in something you can read as well because it can be either a you can listen to it on audible or you can read it to right. yourself and sort of have that literary I hope, discussion I hope it gets published hey, hey, right here, I'm sure it will <laughs> from it your will. mouth to God's Everyone ears listens. guys your mouth to God's ears let's do that that would be an incredible story it's like taking it's like taking the charity into a novel in a sense yeah in a weird way i wrote the book before i started writing the book before i even launched the charity so that was sort of just naturally sort of intrinsic and then working in the charity especially from a mental health perspective of wanting accurate media representation of your story um i talk about this series all the time Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm like trying desperately to like get this charity associated with it but there's a tv show called scom um which is international now is an originally a norwegian show and now it's they have an american version they have french italian spanish all of it um and it just follows teenagers in a high school and they've had and they deal with storylines of mental health and um race dynamic yeah fun fact scum i talk about where is it uh um streaming um the american version is on facebook watch but you can uh, they have so many people will translate them <laughs> oh yeah right um so like you'll they'll have they have like scum netherlands mm-hmm. they have drunk which is the german version and it's the same sort of storyline but it's shifted culturally right but it's just watching young adults playing young adults and having that actual like a real life sort of showing the gritty part of dealing yeah. with mental health at that age how that wholly affects romantic relationships and platonic ones is so just yeah and being able oh yeah and being able to just watch it and yeah like you can sometimes even just going on to netflix finding finding just a character that they'll bring on that has sort of in a mental health element and being yeah. able to watch yourself on screen it's easy to be able to say like 
tell your friend, oh, go check out this episode. Because in my community, the best you can do is like, well, sort of look at Grey's Anatomy from that one episode that right. one time that, that they like shout out. They saw. mentioned yeah. my health issue that one time on Grey's Anatomy. It's nice to be able to because that's where a lot of your friends can then sort of understand and they can yeah. gain some sort of backhanded understanding of it. So true. And that's why you actually if you have people who go through these things in representing the, yeah. the the community on these tv shows and movies yeah the the whole film will be better because it's so accurate yeah i've heard a lot of nurses they they hire actors who are with nurse backgrounds yeah and, and all of that just so they can give their insight mm-hmm. to the director and the producers when they're making the film oh yeah even just from a physicality standpoint how, yeah. how you would physically interact with a patient there's so much subconsciously that a nurse will physically do yeah. like scrubbing in and out when you go into a patient room when you leave oh a patient all the room. time my mom's just... <laughs> talking <laughs> that, my ear saying that that wouldn't even happen she's always the one to point out yeah. something when oh, there's yeah. a physical or mental issue going on in a film she's like you know, they, she leans over and is like, you know, that, that wouldn't happen. They, they wouldn't be able to do that. Or a nurse would never do that. This and that. So it's interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's a way of getting conversations moving. We'll even say a big thing is just having even jewelry or t-shirts that have slogans of that have like mental health slogans written on them. It's, it's, it's a sub, a subtle activism way right. that you're sort of subtly sort of having this conversation being moved. Yeah. But then also it makes somebody Subliminal else. Subliminal messaging. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so you don't have to like verbalize everything on your end if you right. are more shy in terms of activism and you yeah. want to kind of support that community you're part of. Just like necklaces and jewelry that have like it's okay to not be okay written on right. it. And, and it's it, great because it, it kind of helps you as mm-hmm. someone who goes through something understand that someone else who's struggling might have different symptoms than you or different reactions than you and you are able to recognize that from watching these these things that oh maybe that portrayal is correct and I just have a different um different reaction yeah or different symptoms. Yeah, even on my end, like even the charity's um, sort of like tagline bracelets is saying like supporting all the, our trademark is like the medically adultish people. Yeah. So on that end, just having that on our, even just on our bracelets, saying supporting all medically adultish people because that's our, that's our trademark. Right. Um, and I love going, that. yeah, fun. <laughs> um, so even just seeing that, if my arm's down and I'm at, Starbucks or I'm at a bank and having somebody look and they'll read that you can see them looking and then looking at me and like kind of getting that gauge of a reaction yeah and I have so many people who randomly come up and be like where did you get that bracelet or seeing my medical alert bracelet that's sort I'm of the designed. type who would literally see yeah. something and then go oh, oh my god I'm always yeah. on I'm like what is that handle yeah. on Instagram but even just sort of my medical alert sort of designed to me it has a piece of a key on the back that was my aunt's oh, um and she I was diabetic that. so she had her um, medical alert bracelet as well so I have her part of her house key is, is um barbed wired barbed wire god yeah. dominate the word <laughs> medical metal is sort of harnessing it yeah. on the other side of my chain but um just on that end that gets people talking when they see like my medical or bracelet or different things that yeah. i have so it, it kind of yeah it gets the conversation someone could even just be like good on you and yeah. that's it because they might have a sibling or a relative dealing with even a mental health struggle and when they see me wearing a shirt that's supporting a mental health charity we work with i've gotten that even at the gym where i'll just get a tap on the shoulder and be like i like that 
that. Yeah. Or like, that's really great on you. And then it keeps that person that's moving when it matters. forward. Exactly. That's when, it, like, that's when you know you're doing something right. Yeah, exactly. When someone taps you on the back, they're like, I like that. Or yeah. like, I, I could have used that like 10 years ago yeah, is my favorite incredible. thing. That means you're doing, it's all worth it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. At the end of the day, all my, all my losing my hair over these teenagers is yeah. always worth it yeah. in the end when something happens well for them. <laughs> exactly. That's incredible. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really... I'm so excited to see how your charity grows over the next few years. I mean, it's so young still. Oh, I know. It's It's like a little baby. Yeah, it's such a baby. It's (laughs) going to be huge. I know. Thank you so much as well for having me. I love getting to kind of chat on both sides of the physical and mental health as well it's yeah. really and i mean we can say that invisible is a cool name but headcase podcast is, oh, is pretty a pretty badass on that <laughs> side too i have to appreciate it <laughs> thanks so much um yeah so we'll definitely reconnect and see yes. how you guys are doing yeah. down the road absolutely yeah. oh my god yes and fingers crossed for a future book yes finger crossed yeah. on the book guys do you want to give your um handles and everything sure to um follow? yeah we're all over social media on facebook instagram and twitter at invisi youth so i-n-v-i-s-i youth and um we have our video podcast series which is the invisi youth chat sessions so that's bi-weekly and it's pretty sort of like a fun entertainment show of me getting interviewing guests that are sort of leading experts in medically adultish areas and it's fun we play games with them um and get to bring resources and that's on our youtube channel and pretty much every outlet of an audio podcast so definitely you help subscribe all of that keeps our keeps our lights on keeps the ship moving that's awesome so yeah definitely helped helping on that end would be wonderful great thank you so much thank you